heard across the Resonate Regional Radio Network. It's my time, it's my life. I hope you will come along. This is Rural Queensland Today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning and welcome to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. It's Wednesday morning, the 7th of September. A very good morning. Ben Dobbin with you on Rural Queensland today across the Resonate Broadcast Network. So much going on across Queensland. Well done to Dangerfield Santa Catruda stud who overcame wet weather to post a $45,000 top price yesterday at their sale uh, it had a huge dividend as well. 45 bulls offered were snapped up at an average of 22,922. Uh, there were 29 stud bulls sold to, to an average of 24, while 16 herds sold to an average of 20. 11 pens of females sold to a top of 3,100 per head to average 2,400. Uh, several bulls uh, were challenged to be the top seller um, for the 96 registered bidders. Um, but it was the bull, um, Dangerfield Einstein, um, who took the top honours, knocked down to Ray Lee Sanders at Dallacombe, Victoria, for $45,000. Well done to the Adams family. Congratulations. A great result. A very good morning to everybody listening to us through 4SB and Kingaroy, 4ZR Roma, 4VL Charleville, 4HI and Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4LG Longreach and 4GC Charters Towers in the Hot Country Network. Good morning. So much to get through this morning. We're going to have a really big chat shortly with John Cotter, Director of Bowen River Utilities and the Executive Chairman of the Northwest Phosphate, Australia's largest phosphate prospector, in the Northwest Mineral Province of Northern Australia. We'll talk with Brendan Parnell, who's going to join us very shortly. We'll also talk uh, with Carl Warren. Roma had a small yarding yesterday. We'll talk to him. And we're also going to talk a bit of baiting in the South Burnett, much needed as well as they look to try and get this wild dog problem under control. It's a big show for you. It's the 7th of September, rural Queensland today with Ben Dobbin. Good morning. We'll take a break. Come back. John Cotter, Director of Bowen River Utilities, he joins us next. On rural Queensland today across the Resonate Broadcast Network, Director of Bowen River Utilities, BAU, is John Cotter. who He grew up on a property west of Gympie and he just knows how important agriculture is um, as well as trying to open up the north and make sure that northern Australia is viable and has a future. John, good morning and thanks so much for being with us. I really appreciate your time this morning. Morning, Dobbin. Thanks very much for having me. You are a executive chairman of, of North, Northwest Phosphate, Australia's largest phosphate prospector in northern western minerals province of North Queensland. Now, you're a huge advocate for trying to get this under control and trying to get the north um, viable for, and sustainable. How... Firstly, are you guys going about this and what are you wanting to achieve? But also, can you talk to us about the pushback that we're getting from the state government? Yeah, thanks, Dobbo. Um, yeah, look, as you said, our business has got two parts. Um, we, we focus on water and phosphate. The reason we focus on that are they are the two commodities that we saw could really open up the north um, beyond just exporting stuff overseas. Yep. So from our perspective, <clears throat> we took a view that uh, there's one dominant fertiliser player in Australia um, that probably um, is just punching out synthetic fertiliser. And given the soil and the nature of northern Australia being so phosphorus deficient, we thought about different ways we could get that to market. 
Uh, the other part of our business is uh, is building a, the Urana Dam and, a, and and the pumped storage um, around Collinsville. And the long term position we took was that you need cheap water and energy, um, no matter what you do, and the industries will come around that. So those are the, that that's been the focus, uh, Ben, and and we believe that those two things are the fabric to creating some of the big targets that we've got to to feed the world that Australia set itself. Yeah, it will. The- I mean, some of the targets, you know, I think the government don't really, they say these comments and they don't really understand it. Can you, can I talk to you just about how this fertiliser industry, I'm going to get to where uh, the global population is and how um, food and agriculture organisations need to increase their production or we, we will have a huge problem in our hands come 2050. But the fertiliser and phosphate, the, the phosphate industry at the moment, and it, it has been, you know, obviously – something that everybody's very, very passionate about. And there's been a lot of people who have, and I mean this, had a crack in the past. And it's been foreign, it's been come from foreign ownership and stuff like that. How do you guys see to, to get a strong, stronghold of this market and, and, and make it sustainable so everybody understands that what you guys are doing is environmentally friendly, is actually keeping it, local and is making sure that you know there is a future and people and it doesn't get blown out of you know absolutely like i mean the, the costs have been just absolutely ridiculous this year yeah it's, it's a good question um so on a couple of fronts mate um the first is the georgina basin in uh, the northern territory and and northwest queensland uh has some of the you know highest grade and largest deposits of phosphate in the world um the problem we've got is, as you know, we're 900 k's from Ford. So yep. in the global market, we're competing against, um, you know, mostly state-owned enterprises in Morocco, China, places like that. Um, <clears throat> they get underwritten on their um, on their supply contracts. They can stuff around with the price. And, you know, as a, as a single super producer in, in you know, in, in Victoria, you're going to take the lowest price possible. Now, what we've seen in the last uh, couple of years was very similar to what happened in um, in peak fertiliser crisis in 2007, um, is that the Chinese have put a tariff on and have said, geez, we're running out of phosphate. We need to keep it in, in, internally. Sure. Um, the Americans said, um, geez, prices are going through the roof. Our farmers can't actually put out a corn crop this year, so let's put some tariffs on some imports over there. And so everyone's gone in defensive mode. So phosphate rock went from 80 bucks a tonne to 320 a tonne. So what that's done around the world and places like India are now the price setters. They are consuming some 27 million tonnes of phosphate rock a year, and that's just driving up the prices. So the seriousness of the food task came right to a head with the movement in Sri Lanka recently to move to just organic farming. Now, this is the challenge is that we've been making so much synthetic fertiliser for so long, it's starting to have a residual impact in our soil. Um, New Zealand's have reported cadmium coming through um, their dairy paddocks from direct application, from high cadmium-laced stuff from Morocco. Yep. And one of the natural benefits of uh, Australian phosphate is that it's low in cadmium, lower than those inputs. So we've got this very small opportunity while the market's good, to actually get the bulk going, get the economy of scale. But I can tell you now, we mine for as much as the Africans, 
and that's about 20 bucks a ton, but it's $90 a ton to get it from Mount Isa to Townsville. You know, and this is just not the Queensland I grew up in um, to get our exports to market to feed ourselves. So how do we fix that? Do we build plants in Mount Isa? What's the solution? I mean, you've got to get it to port, right, in Townsville. So how do you how do you open up the world to this product, to which open then like not only helps you know, Mount Isa, it helps Collinsville, it helps all of Northern Australia? Well, I think the first thing is, you know, one William Street's got to pay attention to what's going on on the north and understand some of the economics behind a lot of the projects that are up there. Yep. Um, the second thing is we're still, we're running um, our rail, our freight networks um, through a lens of cost recovery uh, and, and profit for government-owned organisations. Um, the way this state got built was that the state said, you know what, the royalties that will come back through by getting these products to market, we'll build our hospitals and schools um, because we've taken a hit and done the hard work on removing below rail charges for for our rail lines. You know that's what but that's what's built the state, and now we've got this situation where we're charging um, you know consumers so much to get their product to market that we're missing the principle of what needs to build this state. John Cotter joins us this morning, Director of Bowen River Utilities and also the Executive Chairman of Northwest Phosphate, Australia's largest phosphate prospector. We're going to take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today. It's Wednesday morning, the 7th of September. Welcome back to Rural Queensland Today. Uh, John Cotter is our guest this morning, the Director of Bowen River Utilities and also Executive Chairman of Northwest Phosphate. In the, in the sense oh. is that the more you can mine out of there and the royalties that you get it would be substantial on the cost of the rail freight to get it to port if they cheapened it up. But they're double dipping and they privatised the rail and they sold it off and now they're, they're government-owned um, companies and, and sub-companies and, and, and it's very, very murky. And the rail system's gone backwards. There's no two ways about it. So can it change? Can, can it honestly change? And we're talking with John Cotter, Director of uh, Bowen River Utilities, because to me that makes so much sense. You'll get, you'll get more if you give a bit to start off with? It, it can change, though. There are, you know, minor incentives up there uh, in the north. Um, but if you look at it back in the 70s, uh, 80s, there were no below rail charges really applied at all. It, it got things going. Uh, and then we've moved into that. Can it change? Yes, it can. Um, Queensland Rail um, uh, have got, a, a, I think, a good plan to take to government about creating some of the incentives up there. Now, I was in Mount Isa and Camelwheel on Monday. Uh, we had an industry briefing um, up there with State Development, which was which was an excellent night. And the message that came out of there, I think there was no fewer than probably 15 or 16 different mining companies there who would parcel up 20,000, 30,000 tonnes at a time to package up and get to port. Unless you've got a million tonnes a year, you're not heard by the government. Right, and this is the problem. We've got so much critical minerals. Um, you know, if you flew Elon Musk out to Mount Isa and said everything you need is here to build a gigafactory, I think he'd be blown away. This is the kind of stuff we need taken seriously by government. And again, how we move freight across this state is the first task in that. That is um, something that we obviously can talk about, and and obviously they need to be challenged about it. Can I talk about the 
the next concerning thing about the, the global population and all, all estimates say that by 2050 there will be so much pressure uh, when the global population is expected to reach 9.6 billion and farmers need to produce more feed. It, you know, it has to increase by 70%. Yet, <laughs> I mean, there's an environmental um, bill being put towards the state government at the moment that is trying to control stocking rates on people's properties at the present moment. Um, we have continual, continual um, legislation coming in, Great Barrier Reef legislation. We've seen vegetation laws, all these different roadblocks, yet the stats show by 2050, and I'm going to repeat this, the global population is expected to reach 9.6 billion, which will put pressure on farmers to produce more feed, and this is an increase by 70% by 2050 in order to feed such a large number of people. I mean, you need to optimise. Uh, you know, you need to maximise your crops. You need to grow greater crops. This is where you guys could come in quite easily, and and this is just the facts. This is, it's not scare tactics. It's not. But if it does not change, we have got a national and world disaster on our hands. Absolutely, and I don't think it's that far away without being over dramatic about it. Uh, Google Sri Lanka. Anyone listening, just go and have a look at what happened when the state started to muck around in, in food supply from an environmental ground point of view. Um, and, I, and I say that not from a land custodian point of view, but from a just a sheer political, you know, um, this is something that sounds good to do. And they went hungry. Yep. It was pretty. It was a pretty simple formula. So to the macro problem you're talking about, Ben, the, um, the scale in which Australia's um, food story and the provenance and the trust that is there. If you've got this creeping regulation constantly um, and, it, and it doesn't reward the number of people out there doing fantastic things in feeding the world and this drive to protein, um, you will send these people overseas. They will, they will go elsewhere. They will rely on people that don't care about how that food is produced. And I sort of look at what, you know, we've got this massive neighbour on our doorstep in, in, in Indonesia. Yep. Um, they turn around and go, you know what, um, we're going to look after ourselves for a while. It will amaze the consumer sitting over there in Belimba at Oxford Street having a, a, having a coffee, how much produce we actually get from some of these nations that you don't know about. And that's even before you start to talk about the supply chains here in Australia. You watch what happens um, to every 15-year-old kid when they can't get a banana from uh, from North Queensland because the environmental regulation has, has pushed them to the point where they can't get their productivity targets up. You know, these are the kinds of real things that I think are going to happen in the next couple of years. And if that happens and we're having to import, we've got this wrong. The nation that we were and the country that we love the fact is that it's being overridden by legislation and by absolute the minority. There's no two ways about it. The minority is taking control. You know, you talk about biosecurity risks. You talk all these things come into play then. And and you're right. The greatest stuff we've ever – and we all look at it. I mean, I went and bought three mandarins yesterday. I looked for Australian grown and own. You know, like it was just, you know, simple. But that will be a thing of the past if we don't change it. Can I ask you this? I mean, John, you obviously are at the front end of this. Are, are the people who are in the positions of power willing to listen to these or is it they're just hell-bent on trying to appease 
the minority groups, the Greens, these kind of factions. But is there anybody in, in, in the government that is actually prepared to listen and, and, and try and get an understanding of what you're saying? Because to me, it makes so much sense. To people listening this morning, they'd go, Jesus, it's so simple. It makes so much sense. We could do this and make such a difference. Yeah, look, the, ben, there are some excellent people in, in government, both you know Liberal, Labor, uh, and in the public service. There's no doubt about it. But the reality is this. They're... The, the vast majority of their stakeholders to keep them elected are now in the southeast corner. Yep. You know, and this is something we all know. So what we've got, though, is this growing distance between people's understanding down here of where stuff actually comes from. And what we need, our political stakeholders particularly, is come out and actually sit in the country and have a proper listen. Not just a flying, you know, let's go and have a town hall and a few people get up there and have a yarn. Actually get into the dirt and realise the level of regulation is not the answer to productivity increases. You know, so when you actually sit down with a conservation group and say, hey, look, I've just been to uh, the Palmer River and Lakeland in the Cape, and I've just seen a guy that's taken an average crop of, you know, Korean melons from using 10 megalitres of water a year. He's now using uh, per, per crop uh, to 1.5 because of the practices he's put in place because that's what the consumer wants. And the environmental outcomes from that mean a cheaper product produced with less natural resources more consistently. Now, that has come from him understanding the market and driving that, that has not come from government regulating the heck out of him on his nitrogen and fertiliser use. Yep. And those are the things that we need the stakeholders to understand is that the market is far more efficient at doing these things with leadership rather than a stick. And yep. that's the piece I'd really advocate for. Yeah, I think uh, you make so much sense. We're going to talk to you again. Uh, Director of Bowen River Utilities, is John Cotter. Uh, he's also the executive chairman of uh, Northwest Phosphate, Australia's largest phosphate uh, prospector in nor- northern western West Minerals province of Northern Australia. Really appreciate your time this morning. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed the chat. We'll talk again. Thanks so much for being with us. Fantastic. Thanks again, Dobbo. And Good thanks on you. again for everything you do for Rural Queensland. Appreciate it. John Cotter, Director of Bowen River Utilities, BAU. This is Rural Queensland today. Make some valid points. Gee whiz, it's very simple when you dumb it down. We're going to take a break, come back with more Rural Queensland today. Carl Warren joins us this morning on Rural Queensland today, the great rabbi. Uh, Obviously, rain-affected sale yesterday at Roma. Rabbits, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Morning, Dobbo. How are you going, bud? Well, well, mate, uh, talk me through it. Only 1,600 head there. There's been some really good falls once again in the district. Yeah, Dobbo, very rain-depleted, very mixed yarding. Uh, but on the back of some beautiful rain, we saw anywhere from May late 30s through to high 50 mils over yeah. the weekend from Friday, Saturday. And yeah, mate, it's bloody wet. It's uh, it's beautiful to see. And, and the market was strong on that still. Only 1,600 head. They, I would suspect all local cattle or were they cattle that got there early before the rain? Yeah, handful handful of local cattle and a, and a big run of Western and New South Wales Western cattle that actually turned up 
before the event. How, how was that market, mate? It's very hard to gauge on a, on a sixteen hundred yarding um, when there's been so much rain around. How was it? Yeah, Ben, there was a uh, a pretty good panel of buyers actually turned up for it, and I think we saw steers very strong, firm, a lot of Mickeys, which which uh, you know folks are being rewarded for not doing the work there. They're making six dollars. We saw little steers make into the. Mid seven dollars, seven dollars forty and fifty for little light steers. No real heavy cattle to quote on. Cows fully firm, full panel of buyers, full competition on there. So obviously, a few washed out, washed out weeks, and uh, the heifer market probably very similar previous weeks. Where does it, where does everybody think this job's going? I mean, obviously, people are trying to hold on, but there's also cash flow. Are there the numbers in the paddock once it does dry out? I think there'll be a run of heavy cattle later in the year, Ben. Yeah, and in the start of next year, but numbers are still depleted. Like, if you actually go for a drive west now, like it, it looks bloody good all the way to Winton. There's feed there. You don't see a lot of cattle. Our numbers are still very shy. We're still in that building phase, and yeah, I think it's gonna, you know, good start to spring now. I think it's gonna be fully firm for for the next few months. Crop wise, people worried with wheat crops, and and is there some concern they don't want to lose it? Yeah, I think so. That's probably the risk and probably heading to the downs, Ben. There's, you know, they probably like a few dry days down there, but around our area, you know, even though it's crops was quite patchy because of the wet, um, yeah. hard to say that you get too wet. But, yeah, you know, a bit of sunshine now for a couple of weeks and a bit of warmth is what we really want, get some growing period happening. And, yeah, uh, it's just a phenomenal start yeah. on, on a wet winter. Yeah, there's no two ways about it. Just absolutely unbelievable. I really appreciate your time, as usual, uh, making you guys available, yourselves available. Uh, only 1,600 head yesterday at the Roma store sale due to the rain in the in the area. Um, obviously, a lot of rain, um, and it has obviously played some havoc and wreaked some havoc um, for some people, but we're not going to begrudge it. Um, it. It's setting everybody up for just a phenomenal start to the summer, and, and obviously, as you said, there will be some cattle and a late run of cattle come off grass towards the end of the year. Here's hoping that the market can hold up and sustain that way. It'll dry out. Great to hear your voice, Rabbi. Uh, and, mate, obviously lots going on as well um, in the property market, but we'll catch up with you again. We really appreciate your time. Carl Warren from Topex in Roma, um, we really appreciate your time this morning on Rural Queensland Today. Cheers. Thanks, Dobby. Good Anytime. We'll take a break, come back with more. This is Rural Queensland Today, Wednesday morning, the 7th of September. You're with Ben Dobbin across the Resonate Broadcast Network. Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. South Burnett Councillor Scott Hook Hensham joins us this morning. Hey, Scott, how are you, mate? Good day, Ben. Yeah, good, thanks. All right. Baiting programs, they're something that uh, a lot of people throughout Queensland uh, obviously use. Um, there is one running between the 19th and the 26th of September um, through the South Burnett. That's right, Ben. Yeah, that's right. And look, there's probably one thing. The first thing I'd like to say is one of people's fears of, you know, some people have a misconception that it's irresponsible, but it's not. It's um, I'm saying straight up, you know, they've got to supply their details, and it's they go on a register, so it's all seriously controlled. Yeah, so I just want to make sure people are well aware of that. Yeah, free meat and for baits uh, will be provided to all participants, and you will register uh, where the landowners who bait. And the problem is that a lot of people are like, ah, oh, well, you know, like it's. We need to bait. We need to have a control, a, a baiting program. There's no two ways about it. The wild dog populations are ever increasing. 
We have oh. more more damage and more carnage going on on a daily basis than ever seen before. And it, it's almost getting to the point, unless you're prepared to trap, to, to bait or, or, or to, to, to put the bird in the sky and chase, you know, it's mm. irresponsible. And I, I mean that genuinely. It is an irresponsible thing not to be a part of these kind of programs. That's right, Ben. Look, I'm a primary producer myself, so I know firsthand of the damage that's done. And look, it's not just wild dogs, it's, it's all violent and certainly feral pigs. We've had in the South Burnett, was an area years ago, there was no pigs in this area. Now, and because of the unprecedented season we've had in the last six, eight, nine months, certainly since probably November last year, you know, wild dogs and, and feral pig populations have just exploded. So with this baiting program, do you get... Do you get um, a lot of people wanting to be a part of it? You know, what are the numbers percentage-wise? Would it be 80% not, of the population? Not enough, then, no, not enough. And, I mean, look, in saying that, in all fairness, many primary producers take it upon themselves to do their own, and you've mentioned it, whether it be the bird in the sky or whether it be, you know, seclusion fencing. Some people now have implemented sure. that in our yep. area, which one would have never thought that would have happened, but there's several landowners here in the South Planet that have implemented that on their properties. That's a big cost, but what's the cost of you know what feral animals do to your livestock and your agricultural production? You know, and there's like I say, aerial seclusion, shooting, trapping, yep. and baiting. All of them, all of them are, are very, very useful techniques to use, and used in conjunction and together, and liaise with your neighbours and certainly with council. But no, there's not there's not enough, and I'd encourage people to take notice. We're talking about this morning, Dan, and certainly contact council and find out more details. They need to register uh, their intent by the 15th of September, so we know just exactly how many people and how much bait we need. Yep. Well, I think uh, this is a great thing that the South Burnett are doing this, um, and, and through there, they need to do it. And obviously, there's a lot going on. There's a lot happening. Um, the baiting program runs between the 19th of September to the 26th of September. Free meat for the baits will be provided to all participants, but landholders must register their interest no later than next Thursday, the 15th of September. You need to contact council in the South Burn at 41899100. 41899100. And, the, oh, look, I, I can't speak enough about how they need to and, and, and the need for them to pe- everybody to be on board with this because it is it is a crucial part of our agricultural industry that we protect it from uh, from these pests and make pigs and dogs and and I'm not talking straight dogs I'm talking crossbred dogs you know are just deadly at the moment they are there it is ever present and they are everywhere and you know if people aren't going to take them upon their own selves they're going to be irresponsible about it well th- well then the onus has got to be back on some of these producers for being so irresponsible because it's just criminal that's right, Ben. And just quickly, I'll just add, we have within the South Burnett over the last couple of years, some areas and districts have implemented syndicates where they've engaged professional trappers, yep. uh, be that for, for wild dogs, and at the same time, uh, those professional guys can look into eradicating the feral pigs as well. And we have a f- couple of syndicates going there, and look, they they not there's no template for it. It suits every area or every district a little differently, but uh, we have uh, very, very good success with that, with those being implemented, and it's a credit to the landowners to engage in that and, and move forward with that professional trapper. The numbers of dogs that are caught in that are, are just enormous, and they, and they will continue. And like I said, Ben, under the current conditions, 
the weather conditions. People haven't been able to get around and property owners haven't been able to get around. Let's face it, most property owners have got plenty of other things to do. So again, as you've stated, Ben, this baiting program, really important. I'd encourage people to get on board with it. And again, just quickly, within the South Burnett, there's six spots over that week, Ben, from the 19th to the 26th of September, where they can get the bait. Like I said, and you've made mention, they've just got to register, but that's in Wondoy, Proston, Anango, Mergen, Kingaroo, and Cumbia, and Orange. So it's scattered across the burn. It's not as though it's a hard process, um, but yeah, look, really encourage people to take note. And if there's any questions, if you stated the phone number, four one eight double nine one hundred, or even contact myself, happy to try and get some advice. Perfect, great to chat. Thank you for being with us, Scott. Uh, I really appreciate your time, Scott Henson, better known as Hook Henson. Really appreciate in the South and taking matters into their own hands. Baiting program starting. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Ben. Morning to you. Welcome back to Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. There's no two ways about it uh, that Racing Queensland is doing just a phenomenal job in rural and regional Queensland. We had the running of the 140th running of the Birdsville Cup over the weekend. Uh, CEO of Racing Queensland is Brendan Parnell. He's been a regular on our show. He joins us this morning. G'day, Brendan. How are you, mate? Yeah, g'day, Dobbo, and to all our listeners. Yeah, well, thank you. It's a great time, isn't it, with all these cups on around the state. Yeah, certainly is, and obviously we head to the spring carnival not far away. But Birdsville on the weekend, it ha- it had a little bit of a uh, a setback with the rain. They did race eventually, and obviously the 140th was run and done. An iconic event, a long way from the metropolitan race tracks of Brisbane. But boy, oh boy, the crowd still showed up and turned up. Yeah, it was. I mean, due credit to the club, when you get bad weather forecasts out around that area, you can be marooned for a long time. I think perhaps some more decided not to travel. But the punters turned up, the crowds were there, and a credit to the club, they had the greater out on Saturday morning. Friday, as everyone knows, couldn't go ahead. Saturday, pushed back a few hours, the graders got the track fit and in order. And then we had two great days of racing, smaller fields than we would have liked. Um, However, great atmosphere, and people really do go to flock to the Melbourne Cup of the Outback and have a really good time. Yeah, don't they, what? Um, There's so much going on. and it really is a uh, an exciting time. October 9 is an exciting time because it will be the Queensland Thoroughbred Awards. The gala event will be held at Brisbane City Hall and it will recognise the Sunshine State's most outstanding galloper and participants of the season. Now, there's 26 awards that will be presented, including trainer and jockey and apprentice of the year, as well as TAB Queensland Horse of the Year. Now, this is... Just a huge night. I've been to these nights before. They are a phenomenal event. Um, and some of the big nominations coming, uh, obviously, is the TAB Horse of the Year. There's just some phenomenal, phenomenal nominations. And also the one that most people think is the Queensland Trainer of the Year as well. There's there's always uh, a lot of contention around it, but the usual suspects make themselves known. Yeah, they do. And what a great lineup at the top of the tree this year. Apache Chase, Gypsy Goddess, who last weekend was crowned champion Australian three year old, and Startantes, who galloped away with the uh, Tattersall's Tiara. So three worthy winners, all finalists for that. Um, the jocks, well, whether it's the veteran Jim Byrne up against the young guns, Jimmy Orman and Ryan Maloney. How good. And for the apprentices, how strong are they coming through? Kyle Wilson, Taylor leading the way. I've never seen a um, more stronger field of apprentices coming through at the moment, and I don't know if it's been a focus of racing Queensland, but there seems to be more apprentice jockeys than we've seen in a long time, and it obviously bodes well for the future because you just know that racing's in good hands. 
Yeah, Dubbo, the numbers in the jockey school are very strong. We've got almost 80% of them as a young female, so they've come through from a horse background. Uh, our challenge will be then graduating them through the system and getting them more out into regional, particularly the north and west of the state. But no, jockey numbers coming through are strong, and young Angela Jones is the the latest star to emerge on, on the scheme. How do you go stage. about? How do you go about? You know the the, the jockey. I call it the jockey school, but the program. How do you guys? How does that work? Can you just explain that to everybody listening to us? So jockeys are indentured um, to a master, which is a trainer, yep. and they come into jockey school quite regularly for a range of classroom, practical, and theoretical sessions. Jockey coaches such as former Group One star Shane Scriven and another. Educator called Jeff Mackay are involved with giving feedback to the young riders, as are their masters, uh, and then they serve their time. and And as they ride more winners, their weight um, benefit eventually erodes away, and then they graduate to become a senior jockey. and uh, It's a great career. Some of those young kids are earning really good money. I know it's a dangerous uh, pastime. However, as an occupation, they can uh, be a serious career earner because they're they're the real stars. These young athletes that are emerging in racing. Yeah, and look, the, the, what I would say um, is that, yes, they are the real stars and, yes, there is some danger involved, but the, the, the training and also the work that you guys do in the education process, every year we're seeing less and less injuries um, and that's a, a real credit to Racing Queensland who is educating and also, mate, if anybody does any – the stewards are doing anything in racing. If anything goes wrong, they're getting they're getting suspended. They're getting fined, and we're seeing it limit. It, I, I would suspect, and 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 I don't know the numbers completely, but I would say that accidents are down, um, and this sport is getting less dangerous. If that's such a thing, yeah, that's a, an always on focus. And the other key one is the role of our 125 clubs around the state too, Dobbo, sure. in making sure they provide safer and better facilities and. The government's country racing program is helping support. We're about to close applications on the latest round of regional infrastructure, making tracks better, safer, and uh, fit for purpose. And that's that's spot on. But it will always be a focus in our sport with the, the pre-dawn track work hours has a degree of risk to that, um, as does the racing activity as well. Great to great to obviously um, have you on. There's a big race taking place in Toowoomba on New Year's Eve. Um, we talked about it earlier. It's going to be it's highly sought after. How are we tracking for it? Oh, it's exciting, isn't it, Double? I know you're a participant in this one. Well, you've we're not there yet. We want it. We, we've, got, we've got some <laughs> nominations in. We're not there yet, but, yes, we'd like to be a part of it. Yeah, sure. And so yeah, just talk king, about the process about it. Yeah, so it's the king of the mountain. It's Queensland's richest regional race, three-quarters of a million dollars, and it's only for Queenslanders and Queensland-bred horses. Applications close on September 14, so not far away. And then after that, on Friday, October 7, there will be a ballot and auction in Toowoomba for the final 12 slot holders. And those ballot winners will retain their slot for the next three years. So super exciting. And then the winner also receives a wild card into the Magic Millions cutest race, a million-dollar race two weeks after the King of the Mountain. So great prize money, great for Queenslanders. And real anticipation, as you say, you've got a handful of applications in, and good luck with your subo. Oh, mate, no, I don't want to be any boss, but we're more than happy if we do get one, I can tell you. Uh, we want to be a part of that uh, no matter what. Appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being with us. Pleasure, Dobbo, and to all the listeners as well, and good punting. Yeah, looking forward to the Queensland Thoroughbred Awards, seeing um, who will win at the gala event, uh, Brisbane City Hall, Sunday, October 9. Uh, Racing Queensland doing a phenomenal job uh, in promoting this fantastic sport across Queensland. This is Rural Queensland Today. We'll take a break. Come back with more.
Well, that's it from us here this morning at Rural Queensland today, Wednesday morning, the 7th of September. Have a great day, Queensland, and Ray Hadley joins you next. We're back tomorrow morning from 9 o'clock on Rural Queensland today. Till next time, remember when the weed is ripe, keep the headers rolling in the paddock. We'll talk to you tomorrow, Queensland. Goodbye.